We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we talk about how Judaism influences our appreciation of the pop culture that we binge watch, that we see on the big screen, that we listen to, and how pop culture influences our understanding and interpretation of our Jewish texts and tradition. As always, we're your hosts. I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. And today we are talking about Netflix show, Emily in Paris, or I actually believe it's supposed to rhyme. It's supposed to be Emily in Paris. You know, I never thought about that until just this moment. That's pretty... or, or, or for us Jews who have been in the Jewish neighborhood of Paris, uh, Emily and La Marais. Okay. Mike, tell us about the show. <laughs> Okay, well, really, all you need to know about the show is in the title. I love pop culture like that. That's really the summary. You, The show follows Emily, who's played by Lily Collins, uh, a uh, marketing executive, a young marketing executive from Chicago, who, uh, through a, 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 a turn of events, ends up uh, abroad in Paris um, what, for what she... Uh, believes is going to be a, a a brief stint working for the uh, Paris office of her marketing company in Chicago uh, uh, called um, called Savoie. Uh, and uh, while she is there- I believe it's Savoie. What did I say? You got to work on your French accents. Okay. Uh, so uh, while she is there, she uh, befriends a uh, uh, an interesting cast of characters uh, who uh, work with her at Savoie, uh, as well as uh, some other uh, uh, French friends and uh, and and expats uh, who join her on her adventures. She uh, uh, lights up the marketing world of Paris uh, through her Instagram account, which is titled Emily in Paris. Uh, and the show follows her adventures uh, in the marketing world, uh, in the business world, uh, in the social media influencer world, uh, and in the love world. Uh, and uh, uh, Emily in Paris is, is very much a romantic comedy. It's uh, uh, made by the, the same creator of uh, Sex in the City and Younger, uh, among other uh, shows. And it is very much in, uh, in, in that same uh, uh, universe. Um, Jesse, what did you think? Think of Emily in Paris. And, and just uh fun uh family connection. Mike, do you know who Lily Collins' father is? I don't. Phil Collins, the what? lead singer of Genesis. Wow. It's all been a pack of lies. <laughs> um <laughs> Emily but, and, and let me just add one more thing that the, the show uh recently dropped its third season on Netflix and it's streaming. All three seasons are streaming now. And that is why we're talking about it. Spoilers ahead, including the the big bombshell uh, at the end uh, of season three, the season three finale, that Camille is 
gay, bi, we're not sure, and wants to be with Sophia, but actually- uh, sexu- Sexuality is a spectrum, It Jessie. is a spectrum, but, but is pregnant. So even though that uh, Emily, Lily Collins' character, is in love with um, the, the chef, Gabrielle be with Gabrielle because Gabrielle is having a baby with Camille. It's all complicated. This show is classic Darren star. Uh, if you were a fan of sex in the city, if you were a fan of uh younger, I think it's sort of a bit of a combination of the two. It is silly, uh, brainless binge watching. Uh, I love watching it without having to think of anything. It's fun. Um, but I really, really appreciate about it uh, as um, somebody who dabbles in social media usage um, is that the name Emily in Paris that comes from Emily's Instagram account, right? That she started, Emily Cooper started an Instagram when she was working for this marketing firm in Chicago, Kate Walsh. Uh, you know her from Grey's Anatomy, from private practice, um, from... Um, 10 Reasons Why, uh, Kate Walsh was I don't pregnant. know her from any of those things. Well, then you're missing out. I guess you are not a fan of my girl Shonda Rhimes. Um, but Kate Walsh, is, is character Madeline, is pregnant. So she was supposed to go to take the job in Paris, cannot. So Emily goes uh, with the world ahead of, uh, and her eyes wide open. She breaks it off with her longtime boyfriend in order to go um, because she wants to explore the world's and Emily in Paris is the Instagram account in which she explores uh, Paris. Uh, and it's for expats living in Paris, that sort of thing. And she brings in, from the marketing of Savoie perspective, she brings in the social media aspect of how you market on Instagram matters, how you market on social media matters to drive your product. Um, and to me, that's really... Uh, the essence uh, of of the show. Um, that's what I would suggest we as rabbis, as Jewish professionals can really take away from the show. Uh, how you market matters, uh, especially, you know, I think highlighted by season three's uh, use of the McDonald's account. Um, McDonald's is, is um, fast food garbage, right? Right. But uh uh, the way that they market it in France, they market it as a a, a special, um, you know, delight that you have every once in a while. Uh, it's all about how you spin it, make something um, more appealing or not. Um, I also do want to shout out Ashley Park, who plays Mindy Chen, um, Emily's roommate and best friend, for being an incredible singer. Uh, if you saw the original cast of Mean Girls on Broadway, uh, she was in that as well. Uh, Mike, what do you think of the show? Uh, uh, so for those of you who are only listening to the auto recording and not watching Mike on Zoom right now as we record, you saw a lot of eye rolling, a lot of head shaking as I was talking about my appreciation of this incredible masterpiece of the silver screen. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have I have thoughts about this. So uh, the first season dropped really at the height of the pandemic, and it was um, and it was great. 
uh, like you said, you know, it was it was uh, it was great escape viewing. Uh, it was, you know, funny enough, silly enough, uh, bright enough. The um, you know the the fashion is 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 beautiful to look at. Paris is beautiful to look at. Who wanted, especially who wouldn't, especially at that time uh, in life and in the world, uh, to imagine themselves uh, gallivanting around uh, around Paris uh, uh, for for a period of time. I, I certainly did. My um, my wife so- and I actually traveled to Paris in summer of 2019, right before the pandemic. And when when we watch it, it reminds us uh, of uh, how much we miss it and want to go back. And, and I heard that they based the story on you guys. Uh, uh, it was called actually originally Jesse in Paris. Jesse, Jesse in Paris. Uh, so um, it was it was fun. It was light. Um, you know, I found the second season to be uh, really dull. Um, uh, you know, it w- maybe it's just uh, it was a different time in in life and in the world. Uh, uh, it was still in the midst of the pandemic. I mean, we're still in the pandemic, but it was still uh, in some ways in the midst of the pandemic, in the midst of the Omicron wave. Um, it just didn't, uh, to me, uh, have the same magic um, and fun as that uh, first season. In part, that's because I think that basically every character in the show is the worst. Um, Emily is Emily is terrible. Camille is even worse. Uh, um, uh, 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 Gabrielle is sort of, I don't know, Pretty, he's par of yeah he's par of um you know so uh I, I there 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 are very few uh uh likable characters in it i mean it helps that lily collins is sort of a likable personality pers- uh, actress um there 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 are ways in which it's fun to watch oh um, my god sort of, julian and luke who work for savoie yeah, they are that's the true. best they are great um so you know there are some side characters that are fun but although i you know i i, I feel like that about a lot of darren star properties uh that uh, that generally speaking um they 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 uh they're the main characters are not um actually people that um uh that that i either um identify that this may be me as a you know as a straight cisgender male um it, that uh, that i that don't identify that with them in in a number of ways uh but also just don't find them like appealing uh characters um so uh i i felt like that certainly in the second season the third season i thought uh um hit me more positively than the than the second um uh, uh and there was a lot to enjoy about it um uh, but but again, you know the the love triangle between uh, Emily and Camille and Gabrielle, um, I thought was a little tired until that, that twist um, at the end of the third season. I thought it actually might have been more interesting to have that twist uh, more in mid season um, and see uh, them navigating uh, uh, that uh, challenge um, uh, and not having to hang on the cliff the cliffhanger of it. Um, you know, I, uh, I we'll get into this. I, I I'd love to hear your thoughts on the Torah of the marketing aspect of um, of Emily and Paris. And I'll, I'll just raise another couple of things. You know, the first is uh, that the show uh, uh, does, I think, um, uh, raise questions about um, the uh, the you know what it means to be a stranger in a strange land which is of course a very jewish kind of question um uh, uh and and also plays with the you know french uh reputation for being a not a particularly hospitable or welcoming uh people uh and so it it, it invites us to ask a question right we say you know uh, a lot of times american jews talk a lot about you know our need to be a you know a a, a, a welcoming community welcoming people 
um, and for um, for America and for Americans to be uh, very embracing of uh, of of immigrants and, and of strangers. Um, and, and I and I don't often hear uh, that same conversation. Uh, happening um, across the pond. Um, so, uh, so that that uh, I mean, it certainly does. I and mean, we saw it in Brexit debate in, in England. I mean, this is actually kind of a raging debate uh, in Europe right now. Um, but uh, but the the particular dynamic of an American in Paris is, I think, an interesting one to, to unpack and to explore. What are the responsibilities of an immigrant coming into a new culture, uh, and what are the responsibilities of the new culture in welcoming the immigrant? And I think that the show uh, plays in in that space. Um, it deals a lot with uh, with social media, but it doesn't deal a lot, I think, with the um, with with the real challenges of social media that have uh, really become a lot more clear and apparent um, in the years around and since uh, when Emily in Paris uh, first dropped. Um, I, I thought I think it would be really interesting for the show to explore that territory some the, the dark side of social media it doesn't really deal uh much in the, in those terms and, and the other thing and I felt like this in younger as well um I'm not sure why Darren Starr uh, hates Millennials so much um and uh, and and there's a there's a dimension of that to the show I me mean, a lot of um uh uh, a lot of uh, uh, sort of like derisive attitude uh, toward like youth culture, um, and and I'm not exactly sure what that's about or whether it's uh, wh whether it's deserved or fair. Yeah, I, I I agree with you a lot. I think uh, on your latter point first, I think that there is hatred towards um, millennials, towards uh, how they communicate, to how they uh, socialize, um, to how. Uh, they and I would say not just millennials, but but really uh, Gen Z as well. Um, in the in the show, I think it really speaks to uh, something that the Jewish community, which I would love to talk about, can learn. Um, we, you know, in leadership positions, tend to not look to the future of Jewish community to see how to meet them where they are, to see what their wants and needs are, uh, and then get upset or are surprised when they don't want to engage in the way that we engage or in the way previous generations have engaged. I will say that uh, I am technically a millennial. Um, I, I am the first year of eligib eligibility of being a millennial. Uh, Mike, I think you, a year older than me, just missed the cut. No, no, no. I, I mean, I think it depends on your definition, but I, I uh, believe I'm in under the wire uh, as uh, as as one of the oldest millennials, I'm I'm what they call now a geriatric millennial. Yes, that's actually uh, uh, happiest fortieth uh, birthday to you, Mike. I I actually call you just a geriatric. Uh, there you go. <laughs> um. So so in all seriousness, um, I agree with you. I think that the show really speaks to um, uh, a sort of uh, high nose snobbiness towards millennials. Um. I do, I do think that it does not speak kindly to the assumptions we make about uh, the French, although it does really speak to um, uh, the the cultural assumptions about France and it being um, um, uh, focusing on uh, sexiness of, of French culture, um, uh, of cutting edge when it comes to fashion and food and wine. Um but they are not friendly. And certainly Emily, when she comes 
to Paris is treated by her coworkers, by um, other people she meets uh, as some American tourist and truly is a stranger in a strange land. Uh, going there to reestablish herself, to reinvent herself, to begin anew. Uh, and we are taught the reason that we love the stranger because we were once strangers in a strange land. Right. I, I think that that's you're 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 hitting at something. I think that that's that's really uh, important in in thinking about the show is, and I think that this is uh, a, a a problem that Darren Starr has demonstrated in in the past um, in, in his work. Um, but I think it's a problem that's sort of endemic to the to the Jewish community uh, that I see that there is um, a, you know a a, a propensity to uh, to paint. Uh, uh, people under the age of forty, uh, so millennials and Gen Z at the at the moment, and millennials are now you know the the young adults um, in the Jewish community in the wider community, and there's a, a, a you know a a propensity to paint with a very broad brush, and usually not a particularly positive very broad brush about millennials that they're uh, entitled, that they're vapid, uh, self absorbed, um, uh, you know obsessed with with image. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, uncurious uh, about uh, about the world. Um, uh, uh, and I think that that is very apparent in, in Emily's character. I mean, she has almost no curiosity about uh, about France or, or the French, aside from, you know, kind of the Dalit Amot, you know, like the four the four cubits of of the um, of, of her work and, and life. She basically lives and the whole show is essentially set in like, one you know neighborhood, one arrondissement of uh, of, of Paris, um, and you know I I I am certain uh, that life in Paris is much more complicated and much more interesting, uh, um, much more textured uh, than uh, than what we get to see in Emily in Paris, and and part of that is because that's just not what the show is. The show is you know light and breezy and and fun um and, and and in part that's because of i think you know the the show's creators attempt to to show us this um uh, this experience through the eyes of its protagonist um who is you know that stereotype of millennials uh vapid self-absorbed uh, uh incurious um unaware uh, uh, disengaged with the you know real life and, and the real world entitled etc 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 and I think that that you know in my experience I mean as a millennial but also in my experience millennials um it's it's that's just not true um uh you know the, different generations certainly have different quirks and characteristics um but by and large I actually think that uh that millennials um are very socially conscious uh, uh very um uh, concerned with the state of the world that they inherited from their parents' generation, uh, invested in trying to make the world a, a better place, um, who are yearning for the same uh, um, uh, depth and meaning and connection that that you know that Gen Xers, uh, 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 Boomers, uh, Greatest Generation people, all human beings look for those things. They just may be looking for it in different places in different ways. And I think that the Jewish community, by and large. Um, has bought into the kind of Darren Star mindset that, like, um, you know, if you just you know slap something on social media, if you kind of give it like uh, millennial uh, uh, catnip kind of branding, uh, if you you know you 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 know you kind of like wear the music band T-shirt and you show up in the in the hallways of the high school and say, "How do you do, fellow kids?" Um, uh, then uh, was that Steve, Steve Buscemi? I believe Steve that's Buscemi. The that's a Thirty Rock reference. Um, 
if you do that, right, then, you know, that's how you'll engage millennials. And, and, and my observation and what I've argued, I think, for a long time, and I know this has been true of you, Jesse, I, I don't I don't lump you into the problem here. I lump you into the solution. Um that, Hi, uh, that, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we another another uh, millennial catnip that we haven't talked about uh, the new Taylor Swift album. But um, you know that 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 uh, Jewish the Jewish community, I think by and large, especially the um, the legacy institutions of the Jewish community, have not taken millennials seriously have not identified uh their their needs and concerns uh um uh, particularly meaningfully um and and are not engaging them uh, not investing the resources to engage them in any kind of serious way um and um uh and i i mean i think that there's you know a looming cliff uh, that we may be already going over in the uh, institutional Jewish uh, world when it comes to millennials. I think there are a lot of uh, factors that that go into this. One of the things that I think is is definitely true, and again, it's not something that you see in Emily in Paris, is that I see uh, millennials and, and Gen Zers um, as you know uh, believing that religion is meaningless unless it. Uh, deals seriously with the with with making the world a better place and going to you know legacy Jewish institutions and seeing them by and large not really involved or concerned uh, in in the world in in those ways and not uh, particularly invested in uh, devoting resources in in that direction. So of course they're they're looking elsewhere. Yeah. So it's not just rebranding then, right? That right. that it's it's not just. Um taking, you know, the same product and putting a new package on it. Uh, it's, well, I would argue it is the same product because I would argue that Judaism does care about social justice. Judaism does care about human rights, right? Uh, Judaism does care about uh, causes and issues that uh, I, I would say for many of my congregation are at the forefront of people's minds, like gun violence and abortion access and immigration rights. Those are very much Jewish issues. And that's why our congregation speaks about them and speaks out about them. Um, but it's not just, you know, putting an ad for the Purim Carnival uh, on Instagram and saying we're reaching out to millennials, right? It, it's it's making uh, something relevant uh, to a new generation. And there is a, a, a bit of humility that needs to take place. I think the reason why Darren Starr is intentionally critical of millennials and so many of his shows uh, is a, a humility that has not yet taken place about saying we need to step back. And in order to engage a new generation of uh, who we believe will be the current and future lay leaders of our community and professional leaders of our communities, uh, we need to take a step back and really listen to what they want, what they need. Instead of just assuming that we know what is best for them, we need to make sure that they have a seat at the table. Right. Well, I think that that's that's really key. Um, that that there is, in my experience, a hesitancy to actually give um, millennials and Gen Zers a, a meaningful seat at the table, meaningful voice in the conversation. And I think that part of the reason is um, the the widespread assumption among um, uh, older generations uh, that uh, that that millennials actually have no uh, have, have neither interest uh, nor um, 
a valid perspective, valuable perspective to, to add to the conversations, right? So, so there is, and I think a, a fear, right? That, uh, and I, I see this certainly, you know, among older generations and in, in institutions that, that I encounter, Jewish institutions that I encounter, but not just Jewish institutions. This is, you know, I, I see it in, in the Christian world too. And, and then beyond that, uh, outside of organized religion, um, that, uh, you know, that, that what it means for older generations to relinquish control, to give up their seats at the table, to, 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 um, uh, to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, to dilute their own voices in order to um, uh, add opportunities, increase opportunities for uh, younger folks to, to give their voices uh, means uh, changing the institutions uh, that, that they're perfect, perfectly happy with the way they are. Uh, it, it means um, uh, uh, having to take a step back and having an, an institution that's no longer focused on serv servicing their needs exclusively, um, but also uh, servicing uh, the the needs of, of emerging generations. And I and I and why I do think you think that... why I mean I, it's hard for me to speak to right because of our age uh, that that we are still millennials. Um, why do you think it's, it's so difficult for somebody to take that step back? Um, is that because, I mean, we see that in politics, right? Uh, we, we, we see that, right. that, that we are still um, at a, a, a time when um, the most popular uh, candidates for the most recent Democratic primary, our current president, uh, uh, Joseph Biden, um, is a senior white man um is it yeah. that uh to step back means that life has passed you by do you think uh because i also want to be clear that it's very important that uh many synagogues are accused of being family focused and child focused so that many seniors often say once my children uh graduate once I'm an empty nester uh right that there is no place for me anymore in the synagogue and in the Jewish communal life Right. Well, so, and, and I mean, I think the problem is the other direction too, uh, which is that, um, you know, younger people are are marrying later, uh, having kids later, um, having fewer kids. Um, and so the, 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 you know, synagogues, especially that are set up, um, you know, to, to service the needs of, of uh, they, they were built um, to, you know, serve the religious needs, the communal needs of the, you know, they're built by greatest generation uh, folks by and large uh, for their baby boom uh, families. Um, and, uh, and and that's just no longer the reality. So it's it's on both ends of the spectrum. I think that you're right. I mean, I, I, you know, I, and I think that that is a challenge, right? We're, you know, it's, it's one of the first, maybe the first time in human history that you have so many generations um, living simultaneously side by side. And, um, and and you know uh, our legacy institutions like our synagogues um, are, are are really just not set up um, to service the needs of that of that wide a sp spread of of people, right? So um, so I do think that there is a legitimate concern that older folks have that hey sure. if I if I if I step back right then first of all yes it does it does feel like like I'm being put out to pasture like time has passed me by nobody wants to feel like that um that uh, that it means that focus 
resources, attention is going to be taken off of my spiritual needs, my communal needs, which are sometimes, not always, but sometimes quite different than uh, than those of, you know, young families or, or young singles. Um, all of those things are true. And I think that there is, um, you know, a, a way in which, uh, you know, there um, it's not so much fear, um, but... Uh, uh, I, I knew I, I experienced this as a parent, you know, that my kids um, already who are relatively young, uh, I was not expecting this to really happen until they were teenagers, um, that they that they don't really love the things that I love, or at least they don't love them the way I love them. Now I've been watching, I'll give you one example. Right? I mean, Judaism is one example, right? I, I you know, I, I had a uh, an image of how I would, you know, bring Judaism into my home and into my kids' lives. And I think that my kids love Judaism and are proud to be Jewish. Um, but part of me sometimes wishes that I made Judaism forbidden to them, um, so that they would, they would want it more. Um, but it's like, you know, Star Wars is, I think a really good example of in the pop, in the pop culture space. You know, I've been showing my kids Star Wars stuff since they were little kids. It's like part of the air that they breathe and I, and they like it, um, but they don't love it in the way that I love it. And, um, and 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 I doubt that when as they get older, they're going to be as obsessed with it as I still am. Um, and that breaks my heart in a way. Um, but of course, it's natural. Right? It's also it's right. They grow up in a world with certain expectations. Right. I, I believe this this analogy works. They grew up in a world uh, with uh, the, the avatar James Cameron uh, CGI expectations uh, or, or motion capture expectations. Uh, and, and so when they see a movie that we loved, part of pop culture that we love, they often can't look past the the 80s special effects. Yeah. I, I, I what, what was the number one movie of the year of 2022? Top Gun Maverick. I wanted my family to watch it. Uh, so I told my kids, I was like, well, actually to fully appreciate it, you have to see the first Top Gun. And, and you know, half an hour into it, they were like, this movie kind of sucks. It's so boring. It's so boring, yeah. <laughs> and it's because they didn't appreciate it with poor uh, early 80s uh, special effects. Yeah, you know, un un unpopular opinion. We didn't talk about Top Gun Maverick. I, I did like Top Gun Maverick, but uh, but unpopular opinion probably on this podcast is that I kind of agree with your kids about the original Top Gun. But um, uh, but I, I think it's partially the CGI. It's partially the the sort of pace of the storytelling. It's it's, a, it's, the story it's certainly the pace of storytelling, right? When you live in a it's, TikTok world, yeah. where you're used to watching thirty second videos uh, or or, it, or a couple minute YouTube shorts. Uh, you can't sit still for two hours. It's but it's partially the resonance of the story itself. You know, there. Uh, I mean, there are aspects of of the of the stories that are explored in Star Wars, the themes that are explored in Star Wars that are present. You know, it's all hero's journey stuff. It's present in Harry Potter and things like that. But there are reasons that my kids resonate with Harry Potter uh, more than they resonate with Star Wars, and it's not only because of the CGI. Um, you know, they're just aspects of that story that capture their imagination in a different way that 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 hit them in a different way. So anyway, my point with all this is, you know, um, intellectually, um, academically, I can observe all that and say, listen, it's not objectively better for them to be Harry, uh, Star Wars fans than Harry Potter fans. Um, it's not like their life is going to be less meaningful if they uh, are Harry Potter fans and, and not Star Wars fans. But does it break my heart? It definitely does. Do I want them desperately to love Star Wars the way I love Star Wars? Because it's something that we can share together. I want to be able to share that with them. Yes. Yeah, so I think that that's also what's going on 
um, in the dynamics in our community is that, you know, the, the generations that that built and sustained these legacy institutions that have utilized them in a particular way, have related to them in a particular way, um, it's it hurts, right? It's like, why don't you love what I love the way I love it? I think I think you're right. Um, right. In the same way, when your children make certain decisions for themselves, you accept it. But it's hard to accept when it is a decision that is different from from that which you would have made for yourself. Uh, you give them all these things, uh, all, all these um, tools to make the decisions that you want them to make. And when they are making a different decision, you're left wondering why. Uh, Sylvie has such a hard time accepting that Emily did a good job. Uh, right. Even when she does a good job, even when she nails a pitch uh, to, to a client or a potential client, she sort of scoffs and makes fun at her uh, of her because there's no way it, it could have been good, right? There's no way she could have done a good job. Uh, and, and I think that's really at the core, when will uh, people of a certain generation uh, accept and embrace the future generation that they have something to add. Uh, and are we just well, as think, guilty? Are we as guilty of doing that with Generation Z? Uh, which sure. was often dubbed as Generation Me. I, I think you're right. I mean, I think that the, the jury's still out on, you know, how uh, Jewish communities will, will relate to and engage uh, Jewish institutions will relate to and engage Gen Z, how millennials who are, you know, growing to be the, you know, the, the, um, the older generations in those Jewish institutions, how they'll relate to whether they'll be the institutions uh, at all anymore uh, to, en to engage those people. So I think that that's an important one. I think that the dynamic between Sylvie and Emily in the show um, is, is actually a great avatar for what we're, what we're talking about. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think that Darren Starr necessarily presents Sylvie as uh, thoroughly sympathetic Right. And doesn't present Emily as thoroughly sympathetic either. I think that there's, you know, the, like we can appreciate Sylvie's perspective here. She's been doing this for a long time. She's good at what she does. Um, she has meaningful relationships in the in the field that she works in. And she continually is, you know, kind of shoved aside um, uh, for this, you know, kind of pretty young thing um, who has great ideas, who's very creative, who gets uh, um, the, the sort of culture of engagement uh, uh, in contemporary life in a way that that Sylvie does not. Um, but is the attention that Emily gets always as deserved as it is, especially in comparison to Sylvie's qualifications and the quality of her work? And I I think that the show does explore that, um, uh, you know, in a way that that we would be mindful of of, of watching, because I think that is playing out in our institutions too, right? Just because just because something is you know uh, uh, attractive um, uh, or meets the needs of a of of the of the millennial community um, doesn't necessarily mean it's the direction that a Jewish institution should go. I mean, it certainly doesn't mean that uh, we should divert all of our attention, focus, and resources away from the needs of the of the older generations to service the needs of the millennial community. There is there is a uh, a, a way. This is especially true in America, um, and I think that that's part of what Sylvie's problem is. Is is sort of like the Americanization of of France, um, but a way in which in America we 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 are very uh, uh, youth focused. We're 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 fixated 
on, you know, on what comes next. There is a, a, a tendency that we have to assume, you know, in the words of, of the great Barney Stinson from How, How I Met Your Mother, right? Uh, newer is always better. Um, and, uh, and of course, in, in Jewish tradition, um, I think that, that we look at that very skeptically. Um, but, but, but that's, that's what society teaches that, right? It even, yeah. right. That's why you need the newest iPhone, even though your iPhone works fine. You need the newest device, even though it, it works. The one that you have is adequate enough to do what you need it to do. Something is shiny. Something is new. Something is exciting. Um, but I don't think that that's what, uh, millennials or Gen Zers are looking for. They're not looking for that which is new. They're looking for purpose. Uh, you bring up really interesting uh, questions for us to wrestle with. Uh, how do we, uh, as a Jewish community, balance the Sylvie and the Emily, right? How do we balance the voices of multiple generations at the same time and meet everybody's needs? And is it okay for an institution to say we cannot? We cannot meet everybody's needs. We actually cannot be that giant umbrella organization. We're only striving to meet these people's needs. And I hope there's another institution that will meet another's needs. Well, I mean, it's, it's certainly it's certainly possible. I guess the question is, and what most, uh, at least legacy institutions are, are concerned about right now is, um, is, is, continuity sustainability you know in the fullness of time so you know the the thinking is right if we you know don't um if we don't work, work toward engaging younger generations um we're not going to exist in in 20 years 30 years right um and yet right if we don't service the needs of the people who are you know really you know i i can speak personally about this, uh, but I, I think this is pretty um, common, right? The the it's the it's the boomers and the you know remnants of the greatest generation that are really paying the bills of the institution, um, and, uh, and absolutely and, based you know, on so their their life stage, their amount in in, in the workforce, uh, the the financial success that they have uh, uh, accumulated, right? right. They are um, the, the 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 donors, the philanthropic. Uh, core of our institutions, right? And, I mean, that's that's also a factor here too, or is the financial issue? Uh, you know, ge uh, millennials and, and Gen Zers, um, uh, you know, uh, have much less wealth at this stage of their life uh, than their than our parents' generation and grandparents' generation uh, did for a, a handful of reasons, and it's not as people would would have us. Uh, believe that we're, you know, that, that, uh, you know, it's because everybody got a trophy when we played soccer. Um, that's, that's not what's going on. There are broader social forces at, at play, uh, systemic forces at play that have, that have uh, stacked the deck uh, in, in such a way. But what it means for us Jewishly, institutionally, um, is that, uh, that the millennials and Gen Zers uh, don't have money to pay the bills of our institutions. The, uh, the baby boomers still do, and they still are. Uh, and so the question that we face is, you know, do we service the needs of the people who are actually paying the bill and risk uh, not capturing the hearts and imaginations of the next generations uh, or not service the needs of the people who are paying the bill, risk them leaving and, and have no ability to engage the next generation either because we don't exist anymore. Yes, and, right? That, that um, I think... Gen Zers and millennials uh, certainly do not have the um, 
disposable income that uh, somebody who is more established in their field does. Um, they uh, are also um, spend their money differently, right? There's there's lots of, they don't look to the future in the same way. Uh, the reason why uh, they are criticized uh, of being called Generation Me, there have been stories about how they don't, you know, invest in 401ks, invest in retirement funds. They spend money uh, that they don't have on trips and vacations for now, instead of thinking about how they're going to retire in a generation from now. Um, and so that is partially the difference. And similarly, they're not willing to say, I'm going to join a synagogue. I'm going to support federation. I'm going to support a JCC just because that's what Jews do did. I won't even say that's what Jews do. That's what Jews did. Uh, they're saying, I want value. I want meaning. I want to be sold on why this speaks to me, which again comes back to Emily Cooper and Savoie. That is why branding and marketing is so important. Something that too many Jewish institutions actually don't do well. It's not just about putting something on Facebook. It's about why do our websites are, are not as up to date? Why do uh, social media uh, posts often look like they are made on um, um, Microsoft, uh, you know, Word ninety seven? That little paperclip is very helpful. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a real serious. Um, concern. His name is Clippy. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I do understand and appreciate that our task as a Jewish community is to uh, bring about a new generation of leadership and have those of a previous generation who are philanthropically willing to support not just their own wants but the wants and needs of a future generation. I I will say yes and to to that. Um, uh, because you know it's 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 clearly the case that uh you know there's there's so much clamoring for our attention uh and this is especially true of you know of of, of millennials and, and gen zers but but it's true of everybody um that if you want to get people's attention uh you have to first of all know where to where, where to capture it uh and also know you know what kinds of things are going to capture it and i don't think that uh that uh, i think that jewish institutions are doing a better job now than we were 10 years ago, but that means that we're, you know, really 20 years behind. Um, so I, I, I think that we, we uh, could and, and should be doing a, a lot better when it comes to that. Um, but I think that there's a, a couple of uh, pieces to this that are important to, to mention. And this is something that, you know, I think that there, there's a way in which uh, Emily Paris, I think, gets the world of marketing right. Um, you know, first of all, that marketing in in a social media era um, is about is about engagement with the brand, right? Um, and uh, and and uh, and so you know, it's it's not just about you know, can we get this person to come into our store, right? It's um, it's it's how do we bring the store to that person's life and make the store part of that person's experience, right? And I think that, you know, so there's a way in which marketing is about engagement and and the engagement also means that um, that that the that the marketing is really the product itself, right? And I don't think that we've really gotten that um, uh, so well in in the Jewish community um, that we that we think of uh, of marketing, of branding, all these things. We think of it as as advertising in that traditional sense, right? So you know, I'm gonna say like like buy my dish soap, right? And you'll go to the grocery store buy the dish soap because I've told 
told you, you know, about its cleaning power. Um, but that's, uh, but, uh, but the, uh, the idea of, of, of the product as marketing in and of itself is something that I think is really exemplified by, uh, by, by Apple, right? That, uh, that, that, you know, the, the, the iPhone, it's, it's not so much that it sells itself, although that's a piece of it, right? It's that, um, how it's sold, um, is, is built into, uh, how it's designed. That you waited out out in line for for hours the night before to be the first to uh, in front of the Apple store to get the brand new phone before it sold out. And that uh, has a built in um, energy and excitement and buzz. And so Um, we're not... and so we're not designing our, our quote unquote products in the Jewish community, I, I think, with with marketing in mind. Marketing is kind of an afterthought. Um, and, and I think ideally uh, you're doing both those things simultaneously in a way that is going to uh, um, result in in actual active engagement, um, which is really, I think, what we what we really want as a Jewish community. I think our institutions have been built uh, without active engagement in mind, at least this is true in the conservative synagogue world, without active engagement in mind. But there's another aspect of this that I want to bring up, Jesse, um, which is, uh, you know, Ra- Rabbi Rami Schwartzer, who was a, a, a contemporary, a slightly younger contemporary of both of ours, uh, uh, co-founded uh, an organization that uh, that, that uh, specialize in, in millennial 20s and 30s engagement uh, in the D.C. area, uh, now called Macomb, D.C. Macomb, D.C.? No, not Macomb. Um, the Den. The Den the Collective. Den. The Den Collective. Yes. The Den Collective. Uh, and, um, and, and one of the things that Rami said is that, you know, for a period of time, you know, after Facebook really kind of took off uh, in the mid-2000s, um, Jewish communities were, were thinking about, okay, how do I enter the social media space uh, because that's where people increasingly are. And how do we have a presence there and interact with people, engage with people in those spaces? And what, what Rami said is that that was the wrong, we, we've learned actually, except for a lot of Jewish organizations haven't learned this, but what he learned is that that was actually the wrong question to be asking because what uh, what millennials and Gen Zers were, were, were uh, as being natives to to those platforms and that kind of way of interacting, um, there were a whole host of of, of social, emotional, uh, psychological, moral issues that being involved and present in those spaces, having those spaces be such a major part of our lives that they brought up for people. And Jewish institutions were so busy trying to, you know, appeal in those spaces that we weren't asking ourselves, um, what wisdom does Judaism, does Jewish practice, does Jewish thought, does Jewish text have to offer people as they navigate life where these spaces are increasingly common and in a lot of ways increasingly problematic, which is one of the things that the show that Emily Paris doesn't explore um, that I wish it would. Yes, um, but I will say about about the Den Collective uh, now run by a uh, friend and colleague, Rabbi Adair Drucker. Um, yeah, uh, if, I, if, if I remember correctly, uh, the Den was uh, at least initially funded by community congregations uh, in the mm-hmm. greater Washington, D.C. area um, because they understood that Jews of a certain generation were not walking through their doors, so they needed to give them a certain... Uh, alternative. And this was a, an entry point. Once they reached a certain stage, then they would sort of be um, transitioned to a synagogue uh, that didn't necessarily happen. But what it speaks to is 
Um, one, I believe what you're saying that people want to be honest. Uh, they they want honest and authentic Jewish community. They don't want the pomp and circumstance. They don't necessarily want the 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 um, uh, ritual. Uh, they they don't want the black tie galas, uh, right? With with the rubber chicken Shabbat dinners. They they want authentic Jewish experience. Uh, what what? But what they uh, also understand is that. Those Jewish communal institutions, those synagogues, those established institutions that were giving that initial funding to a place like the Den Collective, were saying we cannot simultaneously be who we are and meet their needs. We're not going to change. We're going to have this other institution meet their needs and then transition them to us when they get to a different life stage, assuming that eventually they get older and they will want what we are offering instead of saying, how can we give them what they want, not have to establish another institution to give them what they want. That is our biggest uh, our, our biggest task, uh, right? I agree with you that marketing uh, is the it factor itself. Uh, the highlight of season two and the beginning of season three and part of the controversy of some of the, the um, colleagues that Emily Cooper works with in season three is Pierre Cadeau, right? Pierre Cadeau is this outdated uh old school, they called him a stale um, uh, fashion designer, and they, they had to change his image to make him do something different. That is ultimately um, okay. Um, right? That is ultimately our task. Our task uh, is to make sure that Judaism doesn't get stale. Uh, I think at too many synagogues, it is stale. That was the rise of the independent movement, the independent minion movement, because synagogues were stale. Um, people want authentic experiences. People want experiences that resonate and are marketed with them, but also uh, are, are genuine. And that is the marketing and branding that we have to do in our Jewish communities. How can we make Judaism genuine? How can we make Judaism real? How can we make Judaism authentic? And how can we make Judaism appeal to millennials, to Gen Zers, while still appealing to Gen Xers, Gen Yers, while still appealing to boomers uh, and seniors and beyond? Right. It's a it's a it's a tough challenge, uh, and you know I I would say that um, that what I would add to your list of, of what Judaism needs to be uh, in in this moment and, and I think that this is particularly true in the ways uh, that uh, that Millennials and Gen Zers are, are looking um, uh, for meaning and purpose in, in their life um, is you know they, they need to be, uh, you know, engagement is, has become a buzzword in, in the Jewish community, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's untrue. Um, that that needs to be engaged, right? That that um, uh, younger younger generations, in my experience, um, don't want uh, 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 are skeptical of um, of you know religious experiences, of spiritual experiences um, that are kind of like you know prepackaged. Uh, and handed to them, you know, as uh, uh, you know, in in the manner of like uh, a, a performer to an audience, right? Um, right. They want to be active participants, co-creators uh, in community. They want to be active participants, co-creators uh, in their own spiritual life. They uh, they want to be active uh, participants, co-creators uh, in yeah. the work of social justice, right? And they don't want to be told what to do. They want to be invited. Uh, 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 to to come up with a way to do, and and empowered, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, what are you hoping to see in season four of Emily in Paris, Jesse? Um, I would say, um, 
Uh, my the most disappointing. Well, well, you know that she loved Gabrielle and Gabrielle loved Emily. I was a big Alfie fan. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I'm Team Alfie. I'm an Alfie stan. Uh, and, and so uh, maybe, Alfie, maybe Alfie, she did. Emily really did Alfie dirty. May, I, maybe I, that I will that. will complicate things. I do appreciate uh, there there was co- complaints and criticism uh, that that the show was very uh, heteronormative. Um, so what even if it was a uh, pretty um uh Darren star-esque um I do hope that that's Kami uh exploring um her sexuality allows for more um LGBTQ diversity uh, instead of just sort of the the um uh, typical um stereotypical uh, LGBTQ presence that we have with some of Emily's co-workers at Savoie or or at whatever yeah, I was the say, company's yeah, called. Let's... Love interests for Emily's coworkers uh, would be uh, would be a great addition. Uh, I'd love to explore those characters a little more. They're they're really wonderful, and um, you know uh, Sylvie really brought it uh, her, uh, with her character's uh, uh, wardrobe this season. Uh, she she really you know put herself out there, and I I, I was here for it. Uh, so you know um, uh, more more of that more more of that uh, of that um, uh, empowered um, uh, energy. Uh, that empowered, uh, um, uh, you know, slightly uh, older woman energy um, was uh, was was really good, and seeing that dynamic between Sylvie and Emily uh, play out um, in you know in deepen, I think would be really interesting. And I would love for Emily to explore some of the more complicated aspects of um, of life in Paris. Um, I I am certain there's poverty in Paris. Um, I am certain there is. Uh, um, there's uh, racism, there's anti-Semitism. Oh, right. Racism, anti-Semitism. I mean, these are, we we didn't talk about uh, too much the immigration angle, but, you know, uh, uh, immigration in particular uh, from old aspects of the, of the French colonial empire, um, uh, you know, uh, Muslim immigration, African immigration into, into France um, is huge. Marine Le Pen uh, and and her uh, xenophobic uh, ultra nationalist party, um, you know, uh, nearly wins French elections, right? So um, we, we need to see more of that in in Emily in Paris. I think if we're really going to um, appreciate what what uh, this modern life looks like. Amen to that. So let us know uh, what you think of Emily in Paris. Uh, add us on uh, Twitter um, or. Um, uh, you know, comments uh, on, on social media or on whatever um, platform you listen to us here at Pop Torah. And until next time, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And I am Monsieur Michel Noff. Michel Noff. <laughs> Take that care, was really ter- That was terrible. Au revoir. Um, <laughs> au revoir.